Wow, how things can change from one week to the next. Hey, hope everybody out there is staying healthy. I know everything is super crazy. We feel disoriented by the COVID-19 virus. It's more important than ever to stay connected and check in with your loved ones. That's why I'm so happy I've got T-Mobile. Listen, T-Mobile isn't just talking the talk. They're taking measures right now to make life easier for everyone by doing the right thing for their customers during this really critical time. For example, T-Mobile has ensured all current customers with data plans have access to unlimited smartphone data on their network for two months. We're all in this together. T-Mobile truly believes that. And while many T-Mobile stores are temporarily closed to help keep customers and employees healthy, they've still got you covered with any help you need. Just check out T-Mobile.com. You can see what stores are still open and how you can manage your account online. Stay safe out there. During congestion, customers using more than 50 gigs a month may notice reduced speeds prioritization. Video typically at 480p, capable device required. You're now tuned in to The Investor Show, where we teach simple wealth creation for the common investors. With investment advisor, award-winning author, international speaker, and founder of Royal Financial Investment Group, Prince Dykes. Once again, guys, as always, this is The Investor Show, and this is your host, Prince Dykes, coming to you guys on a beautiful, beautiful Friday here in Hawaii. Um, I don't know if it's beautiful where you're at. I know it's getting a little chilly around the world, or around the globe, or wherever you may be. But uh, it's always, like I always say, that it's always about what's inside the heart and how you feel. So, uh, as always, don't forget to leave some comments and an email, all of the good stuff if you want. If you got any questions about the show, um, I thank for all the guys that, uh, all the people that tune in and listen uh, around the world and around YouTube, or however you may get the podcast. Um, as always, I don't have a lot of time. I definitely you guys don't have a lot of time, so we're going to jump straight into it. So what we have today, brought in, like, you, like you guys know I do, I always go in, I bring in the experts to come in and talk about different things and different topics. As you guys can already see in the title uh, or the description, have you got this or saw this, you know, today we're going to talk about IULs. And what I did was I went out and found very knowledgeable people, experts within the industry that I know that are doing very great with it, and I wanted them to come in and bring that advice to you. So today we have Mr. Brian Winnerow, or Guardian Financial Wealth Management uh, out of Austin, Texas, to come in and to tell us about the uh, industry itself. But before we jump into the IULs, um, let's give a big round of applause and welcome Mr. Winnerow. How you doing, Mr. Winnerow? Pretty good, friends. Thank you. Good to be here. <laughs> okay. Um, let's start this off by first, you know, so the people who, I, I don't know who he is or what he's done or where's his background. Could you kind of like tell people a little bit about yourself? I am a, uh, at the bottom of all that I do, a, a retirement planner, which really requires that I wear a number of hats. Most of us, um, understand that we have pieces and parts of, this thing that's going to be part of our retirement plan, but it's not necessarily orchestrated or, or tested in any way to make sure that it's going to deliver as we hope it will 
And so that's why through the investment world and the insurance world uh, and different types of dimensions, we can help people understand uh, and see their way through to the, to the type of life they'd like to live uh, forever as far as that goes. So uh, that's in essence what we do. So we help people manage their money. We help people uh, plan for tomorrow's. Okay. Now, um, how did you get into this world? What's your, what's your background and stuff like that? How did you get into, you know, finances and business? What's your yeah. background for yeah. people that don't know? Yeah. Um, I have a master's in, in business uh, with marketing and finance as the emphasis. So uh, for years, and I used to think that 1983 was just a little while ago, but now it seems to be quite a while ago. Uh, but my interest in in uh, dollars and cents and 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 helping people throughout the years has has been there. I uh, wasn't always in the in the financial world. I basically began a couple of uh, and sold a few different service businesses along uh, the way for a number of years, and then. You know, kind of when I was growing up, you know, what can I really do that would make uh, the biggest difference to help the most people? It just really boiled down to back to my love of of understanding finances and just to help everyone uh, do that as well as I could. So, so that's what we've been doing about ten plus years, and um, uh, here in Austin, Texas, great place to be. Uh, life is pretty good. Okay, great. So you guys don't know about, uh, you know, Brian, like he said, you know, uh, being successful entrepreneurs and coming in and helping so many other people with their entrepreneurship and managing and stuff like that. Um, I actually spent some time, that's one of the places I interned in, in Austin, Texas, a, a few months ago, and that's how I uh, met Brian. You know, he's been, uh, over over the time we've met now for about this about the last year or two or something like that, that, uh, you know, he's helped me out tremendously with, you know, books and knowledge and Definitely been a great resource that I could reach out to and check things, uh, check things that I see and come across and stuff like that. So uh, a, a very good guy and very instrumental in um, my career and my knowledge and stuff like that with moving forward. So I definitely want to appreciate uh, that from you, Brian. Um, all of you done stuff like that. Um, You're so I want to. Okay, thank you, thank you. So we're gonna um, go into a quick. That way, then we're going to come back, then we're going to get into what we came here to listen to for, for the IUL. You are tuned into The Investor Show. So, Brian, now that we're back, I wanted to ask you, these Index Universal Life policies out there, you know, they're kind of like the, the hot thing in the industry, what I feel like personally, that are behind the closed doors. A lot of people don't know about them. Some people kind of know about them. But it's this notion of, hey, I can get some of the market wins and I don't get any other losses. You know, it kind of goes into that notion of uh, what Warren Buffett said, you know, rule number one, don't lose money. Rule number two, see rule number one. But when you look at the market, it's being so volatile. People don't know where it's going. You got all these different elections going on and markets going up and down. Like, how could I do that, you know, knowing that the market is very volatile and these IUL things are saying they can do this. Could you tell the listeners what is an IUL? 
Yeah, let me let me start out by saying sort of what it's not, because that is what, uh, if you ask most people to describe life insurance, they're not going to end up talking about index universal life. They'll be talking about uh, term life, whole life, or universal. And those, of course, are, that's what you see on TV. That's what we grow up understanding and knowing. With those types of policies, typically speaking, we put in as little as we can for as long as we can to get as much as we can. And the uh, as much as we can thing is the death benefit. Uh, what is that for? It is certainly not for the person whose name the life insurance is in because he, she has to die. That is really to produce what we would call just a legacy benefit. And 100 percent perfect in the cases where that is good and necessary. Indexed universal life is different. We typically, uh, depending upon the age of uh, the individual, we are not trying to put in as little as we can for as long as we can. We want to put in as much as we can for as short as we can. Um, and we're not trying to build up this uh, big death benefit, we're actually trying to reduce that as much as as legally possible. The end game for the Index Universal Life, in essence, is not really for the death benefit, although there will always be one, but to create a tax-free pension that one controls on one's own, not dependent upon Social Security or any of these other things that have those variations, those variables. We can actually take charge of our retirement in a way that cannot lose due to market forces and just puts us into the greatest probability of success. So that's what it is. That's why we would do it. Uh, as bright and as shining a star as it is in the, the dark sky, I still always say there's no such thing as something that's perfect and is good and great as it is, it doesn't mean it would be good and great for, for everyone whatsoever. So uh, it, it always comes down to how well does it fit, and I really don't care what something is called, you know, life insurance or not. This is what does it do, and is this, does it do what you need done? So uh, everyone should, unless there's a health concern, everyone should consider the index universal life because of the power that it has, but then if it's going to be eliminated, it will eliminate itself if, it, if, if you're sitting with somebody who knows how to help you understand it. Um, so if it's not a fit, don't use it, but if it is, consider it and what it can do for you down the road. So uh, that's, that's my overall uh, approach to helping people understand index universal life. Okay, because, you know, like you said, when we hear the word life insurance policy, uh, so you guys can give you a look at, a recap of what he said, when we hear the word about life insurance policy, we think of, hey, you know, I want to get a low, uh, pay a low premium that we hear on TV all the time. Hey, I'm going to pay a low premium as easy as nine ninety nine or ten, you know, nineteen ninety nine. you can get an insurance policy, and I want to pay a low premium, and I want to get the highest death benefit. But what he's stating is that, you know, you don't get that death benefit until, obviously, until you, you die. So uh, you're trying to pay a little, uh, you know, pay as little, uh, as small amount as possible to get the biggest death benefit and what he's saying, creating that legacy for later on down the line. But with this uh, IULs, he's pretty much stating that if you, you know, the, the, um, 
the the mission has changed to where you're looking to put as little as possible to get, you know, turn into a in, uh, retirement pension plan for yourself later on in the future. Now, you know, when people hear this, you know, the first time I ever walked in and heard about IUL and seen how they were set up, you know, it's kind of uh, mind-boggling, like, wow, how does this something like this exist, but nobody know about it? Why does, you know, why does nobody know about these or uh, uh, heard about it? Why they're not as popular as they should be? Well, the, and, the biggest the, – oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. And I want to add the question of how would you compare to, a, a you know, a regular – I'm at my job. I have a 401K. Okay. Um, to to the question, why don't we know about it? Um, most, uh, the vast majority of people, um, when they're seeking some type of uh, retirement planning, financial advice, assistance, and, and all of that, are are generally speaking in the brokerage world. And generally speaking, you won't find the uh, Index Universal Life policies in the brokerage world. That's just that's basically true. So, and any financial uh, commercial on TV really is coming from the brokerage world. Every once in a while it's insurance, but they're really not talking about index universal life. Although it is the fastest growing portion of life insurance today. Uh, how does it compare to a 401k plan? So now let's just assume you're, you're 25, 30, 35 years old, uh, for instance, and uh, you're, you're making contributions out of each paycheck going into the 401K. There may or may not be a match. All of that money is tax-deferred. You know, you get the, the write-off on that particular tax return, and it just grows tax-deferred. It is exposed as, as to with the extent that it is within the 401k to market forces. So 2007, 8, 9, not so good. Since then, lots better. You know, it's just it's up and down. So there's a bit of a wild card uh, uh, out to, to the outcome. Now, if you choose instead to put the money into an index universal life policy instead of your uh, 401k, most of the time, when we run the forecast and crunch the numbers and, and hamper, uh, hinder the index universal life policy as much as we could, would, should, uh, to not inflate what it can do, the numbers say without a doubt that you'd be far better off down the road into retirement with the index universal life policy. Now that sounds a little bit uh, sacrilegious or certainly against the norm, and by God, I'd be paying taxes on that money at the time. Yes, you would, but you'd be putting it into something that would be tax-free there, thereafter forever. Plus, you can use the money uh, for loans to buy cars and this and that, put children eventually through college and all of that, uh, and still uh, have the... Uh, the index universal life policy remain a powerful force in your retirement plan. So it just has more versatility. It certainly uh, enjoys much greater favor in the tax code than does the 401k because that's eventually an IRA and eventually it's always going to be taxed. So uh, the big question is always uh, what's in the best interest of 
the individual, what are the circumstances, um, uh, how sound is the job or the job future, because once we start an index universal life, it's pretty much a commitment. Uh, 401Ks, you can change jobs and this and that. You're not obligated to do it. So uh, one savings picture, the ability to maintain and continue to make contributions or premium payments to the policy is really important to understand. But when all of the signals line up and the checks are in the right boxes, it really should be considered certainly not for all of anyone's money or investments, but uh, the right portion. Okay. I could, can, in, um, in essence, you're saying, hey, if you're in a Roth IRA, that's fine. That's cool. That's job offers. But with that Roth IRA, with your job, you know, you're exposed to all market ups and downs. And as we saw in 2008, let's say if you was planning on retiring in 2009 or 2010 or something like that, and your market, in, in your let's say if you have a uh, at your job they have you pretty much tracking the S and P 500, you could you know actually be in a situation where you couldn't retire because you know the downturn came and you know um, a lot of people lost a large portion of their portfolio at that particular time, and if you was getting ready to retire, you know that could be a large risk. So I can see what you're saying. You know, it could be a, a, a you know, you eliminate sequential risk because the IUL, you don't necessarily have to take the the downturn. You can just keep the ups and, you know, get some of the ups and take none of the downs and stuff like that. So that's a very good uh, portion of it. Because, you know, when, when, so when somebody's sitting back, they listen to this or they hear about IUL, you know, I've seen people that have been introduced to them and, they can't grasp their mind around it. They're like, okay, so you mean to tell me I can get a life insurance policy and I can actually, I don't have to die to be able to use it. I can use the money. Uh, it has a death benefit to it. I don't get none of the market loss. I'm going to get some of the wins. Um, you know, all that stuff sounds good, but what is the catch? You know, that's what people look for. Like, it has to be something here. What is the catch? So could you give the pros and cons of an IUL? Yeah, you've just been through a lot of the pros. Um, not exposed to market losses. The market goes down 1%, 40%. Uh, you do not, you cannot suffer losses due to market forces. Um, so, and it would generate income if you did indeed retire in 2007 and then the floor just dropped completely out. Your, uh, your income, your savings that are in, within the IUL would not have been devastated, would not have been uh, dampened. They would, they would remain the same. So the principal protection dimension of it, the tax-freeness of it, um, you know, a Roth IRA is tax-free, but when one passes away, the Roth IRA value just goes to somebody else dollar for dollar. But here is a tax-free instrument in the Index Universal Life policy that we're not for the death benefit, but in reality, if we were to put the same dollar into the Roth and the same dollar into the Index Universal Life policy and die the same 10, 12 years later, there would be a much greater benefit to the beneficiary of the Index Universal Life policy. That's just what life insurance does that a standalone Roth IRA cannot do. What are the concerns? Um, being able to, to contribute enough into it to make it worth your while. And, 
you know, it can, it can be hundreds of dollars a month or it can be thousands. The more in, surely, the more out. You know, everybody understands that. So it, it is one financially able to, uh, to construct a policy that is worth the while. Okay, so that's, um, uh, that, is, that is key. That is critical. One's health makes a big difference. This is a life insurance policy. You have to qualify. There's underwriting. It takes a month and a half to get from start to finish, and, and, and uh, there can be some questions that come up along the way regarding health that could make it uh, either uh, not accessible or unaffordable. That's all possible. Um, the, the cost of the life insurance policy, people always uh, have concerns about, and they're real. They are real. They're greater in the beginning than it would have been if you'd have put the money into the 401k. There is no doubt or question about that. But that's in the early years. The, the greater time, much, the more time passes, the less true that is. And in fact, uh, 10, 15 years into it, more often than not, it is really a win from a cost perspective to be in the index universal life compared to keeping the money in the 401k, okay? The, the other good side of the index universal life is comparing it particularly to the 401k. The index universal life provides income for life, okay? The 401k will last as long as your distributions from it allow. Um, you can maintain a much higher tax-free balance of income in retirement from the Index Universal Life Policy than the uh, comparable 401k. That's just, if we just use historical numbers, uh, that would be the case. So, um, circumstances in one's life, one's health, uh, financial picture, all of those things are Im- important and any one of those dimensions could be uh, could provide a favorable or unfavorable uh, reason to be for or against the indexed universal life. Okay, so essentially, so you're saying, hey, if you make enough money, is one of the biggest concerns of you are your health. You know, if you got good health, and if you do have good health, are you financially able to make it worth your while? So you you briefly touched on it, which is saying what one had to do to qualify. You know, what are the things someone had to do to qualify besides the health? Is there an age requirement? Do you have to have a certain income level? Someone may be listening saying, hey, you know what, that's a very good point. But before we jump into that, you know, I'm gonna, we're going to cut into the segue, and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about uh, actual qualifying for a uh, IUL. Show with Prince Dykes. All right, guys, welcome back. Um, now uh, you've been spending time here with Mr. Brian Winnerow uh, out of Guard- Guardian Financial Wealth Management, and uh, we're going to talk about um, what you guys heard about qualifying for the IUL. You heard all the pros and cons. You kind of heard about what it was. Uh, you heard about, you know. 
the goods and the bads about it and all that good stuff like that. So now you may be sitting back saying, okay, well, do I have to be 40 years old, 50 years old? Do I have to have a certain income? Whatever the case may be. So, Brian, um, could you tell them what they need to do to actually, uh, what are some of the requirements to qualify to actually be able to get into one of these policies? Sure. Um, Before we even, I mean, I always will ask if it's, I'm sitting with someone, and it's somewhat apparent to me that there's potential for the life insurance policy, the index universal life, to to play a role uh, in their future. I'm going to ask pretty quickly and as delicately as I can, you know, about their health. Is there uh, anything there? You know, most of us, um, the older we get, there's, you know, high blood pressure medication and all of those things. Most of those types of lower-level health concerns, certainly those which are treated, uh, which can easily be treated by medication, do not make a difference, all right? We start talking about bigger heart and circulatory and diabetes and just greater health concerns could actually make it so that we cannot get the policy. But just because we cannot get the policy on ourselves, let's just say that my health was uh, nowhere near where I wanted it to be, um, you know, I've had a heart attack or whatever it may be. Uh, if I'm married and, and, it's, and, and it's demonstrable that I don't qualify, then I can actually have the life insurance be in my spouse's name and I can begin to benefit from that as well. So it's not always um, uh, a dead end, if you will, if, we, if there's a health concern. But that's part of it. Now, how old? How old? One of the answers is, generally speaking, the younger the better, but that's not at all really truly the case. Um, we, could, we could open up one of these policies. I've got them for six- and seven-year-olds, okay, so as young as that, and as old as 78, I think. So those are, for, but they're kind of constructed for two different time zones, two different reasons, but that just lets you know there's a pretty widespread difference. If the six- and seven-year-olds are getting it, obviously they're not paying for it, but a parent would be, okay? Now, sweet spot, um, 25-plus. The reason it would be better at 45 versus 25 is typically speaking we have more income, more disposable income. Children may be through college already, whatever it may be, so a dis- uh, available uh, discretionary income if there's more of it, then we can do more with the policy, which will create better benefits down the road. So now, the qualification process, if, if it does appear that it's a good uh, fit for someone, I always ask them, you know, are you 70% sure that this would be good? You've got a good part of your body still stuck in the door, you know, if, if you can back out at any point in time. Then we should put an application in, all right? The application is going to take a month, month and a half. Um, so, and there's no cost to the applicant, and there's no obligation. It is just the, the toe we have to put into the water to get the insurance company to respond back and say whatever they're going to say. Sure, we'll, we will uh, insure you at, and, uh, at this health rating, which may have been better or worse than we put down in the application, so until the insurance company gets back to us, we really don't have anything to say yes or no to. So 
the whole process can take two months. And um, uh, why would you do it? We've talked about uh, who would it be best for. Um, in, in many cases, it can be good for anyone that there are some sweet spots along the way. Okay, so that's a, a very good point you made about qualifications. And if your health may not be uh, as great or you may have a medical condition, but you may have a spouse that does, and, you know, a great point that you just pointed out was having it for kids as well. You know, you said the seven, six, seven, eight was the lowest age of a client, and that it could be a, a great way to start investing for your kids in the future where they could have a life insurance policy and, you know, actually save us some money to go to college and not have to actually die in order to get the benefits. So that could be a, a great instrument as well. Now, um, what are, I, I kind of hear this sometimes, what are some of the fees that are associated with the, these IULs? Because I know not all IULs are the same, you know. Um, you know, what some, if someone is going out to seek one, what are some of the things you would tell them to kind of, hey, well, not all IULs are the same, and, you know, this is what I should look for or something like that. The, um, there, there are basic costs involved with, with any IUL policy, and they don't really change too much from one company to another. Uh, if you are uh, deep enough in uh, consideration uh, to, to, to look at getting one, whoever's helping you, uh, can and should generate what we would call illustrations, those can itemize the cost year by year by year so that, um, so that you can see them and understand them. Uh, it's, you know, the, a big part of the cost is certainly just the cost of life insurance, okay? Um, because the insurance company, you put in, you know, 10 bucks, they're on, on the hook for 20. And so the difference between those two numbers is their exposure, and that's, that'll determine the cost. So the younger we are, typically the lower the cost, and as it gets older, as we get older, that changes. But the index universal life policy offsets that by decreasing the death benefit as time goes on as we begin to consume it and get income. So look at the cost throughout time. Uh, other costs that are there... Um, the um, uh, are the uh, there's a there's a premium there's usually a five percent uh, tax on the premium for every dollar that goes in, you know five cents of it's going to go to the state and federal side of life. Uh, I told you about the health insurance. There will be a, a minor, small uh, clerical, a kind of administrative cost that helps the insurance company keep its it's the support staff in place for you, whether or not you call in or not, you're helping pay for that person to be there. And um, those are the main costs. Okay, so the, once you stop putting in premium, that, that premium um, charge cost goes away. Uh, the cost of insurance continues on but decreases over time, typically speaking, because of the way the Index Universal Life Policy is designed versus um, the other types of life insurance, which would increase the cost as you go through. So understand the cost, but always keep the big picture in mind. It's not necessarily what it costs in the first 10 years, although important, that 
probably isn't the best way to evaluate it because this is something that we are going to own for life, okay? So the upfront costs are, are there, they're real, but the overtime value is the only reason to get this, and that's how it should be evaluated. Okay. We're going to cut into a quick segue, then we're going to come right back, and uh, we're going to have more here with Mr. Brian Winterrill. Now that we are back, is two more topics that we're going to hit here. You know, uh, we, we've kind of been briefing on it already. We're going to talk about, you know, now that you heard it and you want to get in contact with uh, Mr. Winterrow and understand, hey, you know, I, I, I think it's a pretty good product. How do I get one? And we're going to discuss, you know, someone who may be sitting back saying, okay, well, do I have enough money to get one? So um, if they wanted to get one, um, and how much money would they need, and how could they actually get one itself? What would you give on that? Yeah, so it, it's because Index Universal Life is just contrary of the flip side, if you will, of traditional life insurance. It's uh, With traditional life insurance, the question is, how little can I put in? And it's just quite the opposite, really, with Index Universal Life, is how much should I put into it? All right, and there's a sweet spot um, that it, that unfolds, that emerges in any one person, a couple's financial life. You know what what is doable, and um, th- that dollar amount is just going to be r- relative to their personal experience. And so, um, and the question is also going to be how how young. Uh, if it's a youngster, you know, $100 a month. And if it's somebody much, much older, it could be um, $700 or $1,000 a month. That would make it worth the while. But the older we are, the more likely we are going to be funding the life insurance policy in a short five-ish year period of time versus somebody who's 20, 30, 40 even and is going to make contributions over many years. So maybe instead of the 401k, they know they have 20 years of work left. Well, instead of 20 years of 401k contributions, they would put it into the IUL policy. The, it is very difficult to give an exact amount. Um, most insurance companies have a minimum death benefit that they, that they will issue a policy containing, and usually that's $100,000. Well, it doesn't take much premium contribution at all for a six-year-old to get to a $100,000 death benefit that it takes more for a 30-year-old, okay? So uh, I, I always shy away from giving numbers because it's just, it is so relative, um, but a hundred, a few hundred dollars um, uh, for 25, 30, uh, year old per month could can get you there okay the, the more the merrier all right so it just depends upon how we can design it to produce the greatest value and is that greatest value worth achieving okay hope that it, i mean it's 
somewhat vague, but because it has to be vague, I, I just don't know the details to answer to. Yeah. Because yeah, it's too it's too relative, you know. So you yeah. get what understand is like you know if you're a six year old premium is going to be a whole lot different from a thirty year old premium, or you know then going on to your health and stuff like that, you know. Right. It's just it's just too relative. So like he, he well the, the closest number you gave was a couple hundred dollars. So uh, I know a lot of people look at, hey, maybe I should go to the stock market or maybe I should go to a mutual fund or maybe I should go to this or whatever the case may be. This could be something you can consider to, you know, uh, look into to see, you know, if you qualify and if it's a good fit for you. So right. now the, the next question was, you know, how can I get one? If somebody's like, hey, you know what, that's a pretty good idea, because like you said earlier, that most times when you're seeing stuff, it's coming from the broker world. Uh, to break that down, what he's saying is when you see things like your Fidelity, your Edward Jones, your Charles Schwab, uh, those are coming from the broker industry, the commercial industry, and you're not getting uh, from the fiduciary side of the house. So that's what he meant by, hey, most of the stuff you see, you never heard of this, you never seen it, because most of the stuff that has the, the big media push uh, – are from the broker world. So now someone's here that's like, man, I never heard of this. Um, you know, I did hear from it from a friend. I didn't know if it was true, but how can I get one? Yeah. Yeah, what I, what I still hear uh, and, and have heard for years uh, in response to, you know, somebody's just been exposed to this and they've had a chance to ask a few questions. And right off the bat is, how come I've never heard about this before? Uh, it sounds too good to be true. And then number three is, oh, is it legal, you know, because of the, the, the power that it possesses. The potential power is somewhat extraordinary compared to what you understand to be common, other common type investment accounts. So um, the, the, how do you learn about it? I mean, I, can, I will always be willing to, to chat with somebody that's listening. So just to help you get more understanding of your particular circumstances. So just, all, just reach out to Prince and he can connect you uh, with me. Uh, on your own, there are some, some decent books out there that you can read. And um, one of those is The Better Money Method. It's by Terry Laxton. It's a it's a good book, but it, uh, the guy's humor is uh, a little quirky, and sometimes people, <laughs> sometimes people say well, everything was good but the humor. But yet, if you get through the humor, you might even like it. Uh, but if you get through it, then um, the the message is great. One that I really like is um, it's called the Retirement Challenge, and uh, it's written by David Gaylor, uh, Rodney Harris, and Gary Reed, simple, 60 pages. It's talking about more of how to use it if you are, um, if you had started when you were 30, and it tracks it through to retirement. What would it have done? And it gives basically three examples. You know, somebody just stays with the 401k, somebody goes with the brokerage world, and somebody used the IUL. What are the differences? So it's a it's a good high level uh, overview with. Uh, with some pretty decent handles that you can grab hold of to um, to get an understanding of whether or not it may or may not be a good fit for you. Okay. So uh, just the, the two books that he named, 
Um, you know, listen to here on the Investor Show. We always do things to help people. And uh, just for you guys for being uh, great listeners and stuff like that, the first two people to uh, email me, uh, email the show, I will send you a copy of those books. Just the first two people. The first two people that send me an email, hey, Prince, I heard the episode, and type in the code word of uh, Brian. You send, me the, you send me an email with the word Brian. I'll send you a copy of the book. So the first two people will get a copy. Either one of the books, either or. So, um, but um, Brian, is there anything you want to close them out with? Anything you want to say? Anything like that you want to put out to everybody? Yeah, I think I would just would encourage everyone at, at, at any age, really, to uh, to remember uh, what my my father's favorite saying was, and you know what counts is what you learn after you know it all. So when you're when you are uh, in the, the the conversation and deliberations about what do I do with my money, my encouragement is this: do not be set off or put off by what something is called the the label that says life insurance or the label that says mutual fund, whatever it may be. Uh, do your best instead to understand what it does. And then forget what the label said. Now you know what its intent is and what it should be able to do. And then you go into the understanding of does it do what I need done? And if so, for how much of my money and to what purpose and all of that. So it just gives you, rather than letting preconceived notions potentially cloud what could have been an otherwise really good decision, um, uh, I'm, I'm helping people all the time just turn their head a little bit this way and look at it and, oh, okay, now I see that. So, you know, what counts is what you learn after you know it all, and particularly when you're planning for the rest of your lives, things change over time. What something that was called one thing 10 years ago does now versus then can be extraordinarily different, okay? So what you've heard may not always be what is true. So... Uh, but that's what I would do, and, and for the Index Universal Life question in particular, it is good. Nothing else does what it does. We didn't even talk about the bank-on-yourself concept, the way that you can borrow money and use it to, to leverage money. It's, this is what the wealthy have been doing for years. Uh, it, so there are a lot of positives to it. Which you well, you know, have, since, Brian, since we, we messed up on that part, you know, and we didn't talk about that. Let's let's hear about that. We always want to know what the wealthy is doing. So, <laughs> if you don't mind, enlighten us, please. So, if you if you've got one of these policies and it's been around for a while, and let's just say you've got enough cash value within it um, that would pay for the, the car of your dreams, whatever it may be, the car you're going to buy, and and furthermore, assume that you're going to purchase the car on credit, nothing down. Uh, a five-year note, and you're going to get it for, it's a 3% note. So it's a $30,000 car, and, and at the bank, you're going to, over the next five years, send $34,000 to the bank in, in, in even payments. Okay? Uh, what happens if you miss one of those payments? Well, they're, they're fairly quick to point it out to you, and you, you miss another, and all of a sudden they're starting to threaten a little bit here and there, okay? Um, not necessarily good, but that's just the way it is. Um, 
you're the best bank's, cust- bank's best customer ever, you pay early, how much of your money are they going to give you back? None. The full 34000 that you paid, principal and interest, is gone. You own the car. Let's say it's worth uh, $15,000 later after you're through paying it off. Compare that to borrowing the $30,000 out of your life insurance policy. So let's assume that the uh, cash value was $30,000 and the account value was $40,000, okay, because there will be a difference between those two. When you get the $30,000 out, it does not come from your account value. So the $40,000 that I was just referring to would not be dinged. It would stay there, and it would be growing each year during those five years that you're paying it off as if the $30,000 never came out. So your principal is not only protected, but it's going to grow, and it won't be the $30,000 would not be subtracted from it. The $30,000 actually comes from the insurance company. It's a loan to you, and so when you... Let's just say it was a 5% loan for the insurance company instead of a 3% at the bank. So in five years, you, make, you repay 35000 to the insurance company instead of thirty four to the bank. What happens if you miss a payment to the insurance company or three or five? They don't care. It is your money you can determine the cadence at which you wish to repay it if you want to repay it at all. Um, but let's just say that you do make those even payments. So now you've sent $35,000 to the insurance company. How much of the $35,000 does the insurance company keep? You borrowed thirty. You gave them thirty-five. The difference of five thousand is the interest. That's what the insurance company keeps. The other $30,000 goes where? Back into your account to the cash value, okay? So not only did you make payments back to yourself, the principal returned to you, but you still have the $15,000 car, okay? So that bank on yourself, private banking, uh, write those things down, bank on yourself, private bank, banking, Google it, I think you'll like what you see, just the concept of it. You say, my God, why don't I know about this? How do I do it? The life insurance policy does it intrinsically, um, and other places do not. So that, that's, a, that's a value that it could be used to buy cars, to remodel the kitchen, to put kids in college. You know, as time goes on, this thing gets more and more valuable. Yeah, you can do more things with it that you no way on uh, God's green earth that you could do with a 401K or any other kind of an investment account for that matter. So that's the, that's the uh, bank on yourself, private banking portion of it that is just icing on the cake. Uh, whether or not you use it is, uh, is up to you, but it's there to be used. Wow, that's really amazing, you know. Learn about private banking and banking on yourself, you know. Most of us think about banks and getting it loan. We don't think about getting it from ourselves, right. <laughs> you know. So, right. you know, but uh, that's why the wealthy is wealthy. And, uh, but... Uh, it's always, this is uh, Brian Winterrow calling from uh, Guardian Financial Wealth Management, leaving so much great knowledge, you know, private banking, enlightening me on that, 
going into what are IULs, the pros, the cons, what you need to do to qualify, the, you know, everything that you want to know across the board, across the top, you know, that, hey, you heard about this before, you've seen something about it, and you're like, you know, you have those questions. I hope uh, we was able to discuss those and make you feel a little bit more comfortable. Um, if you want to get in contact with Brian, you know, you can just shoot me an email as well uh, to discuss further. If you want to move forward and say, hey, I want to know more about this, but, you know, that's what we do here on the Investor Show. We just give you guys options to different things to look at because it's no cookie-cutter way uh, for investing. You know, it's no, hey, everybody should do this one thing. It's so many different things out there. So what we're doing is bringing you the different tools as always. So, Brian, is there anything you want to leave them off with or anything like that? I know no, we I said that before, you. but we yeah, came back. You, thank you, Prince, for, for this, uh, what you're doing. I think it's great. Um, my... Um, my, my, my biggest words of wisdom, if they are as such, is that remember that no plan is a plan, and it just takes you where it wants to. If you look into the future and your plan is just filled with pieces, they're just not orchestrated, they're not being tested, we're not putting them through a lot of what if this happens, that happens, um, be careful because that is where... Uh, danger lurks you know if we've got a plan uh, it's going to change yes because life events create different outcomes we know that but at least we have the the pathway that we are going to come back to uh, to redirect from uh, in the future so my encouragement to all of you is uh, the sooner the better uh, you might say well I'm 22 I don't have anything well it, what, what's your plan to get something and how are you going to keep it? How are you going to make it do what you need it to do for you to get you where you want to be? Um, the stuff does not just fall out of trees. And can we begin to think that way? But our public educational system doesn't equip us. College barely does in, in these personal finance uh, areas. So find somebody that, can, that you can lean on to at least get started uh, hook up with that can help you develop what would be a solid plan for you, uh, a living plan that will change over time, but nonetheless, you'd be far better off with it than without. So that's my my uh, main starting message and, and ending message in many cases. So uh, I hope that made some sense. Okay, awesome. Um, as always, guys, this is Prince Dykes. This is the Investor Show. Thank you guys for tuning in. Um, and till the next podcast every Friday um, you guys be safe and see you later this has been The Investor Show